Hey everybody, welcome to Outspoken. I am your host, Justin White. This is episode 57, and my guest this week is my friend David, um, who I've known for a very long time. He was one of the first people I ever met in San Francisco um, 27 years ago. And he was also the first dog walker I ever met. And I credit him for giving me the idea to start my own business a few years later. Um, And I'm actually eternally grateful to him for that because uh, there's no telling where I would have wound up if I hadn't found that line of work uh, to be so agreeable for such a very long time. Um, So I want to talk about David, but I think I'll do it more at the end because I want to give you some links to all the things that he does. But um, he is a man with uh, an enviably expansive imagination, Um, and he's a pleasure to talk to. And I didn't have time to keep, uh, I I couldn't keep all of the stories in, so look for those in outtakes later on. But um, I I did make it an extra long episode because I asked him to tell a story which he maybe wouldn't have chosen to tell on his own. And uh, since it took a little while, um, and since it was something he maybe didn't want to revisit, I wanted to reward him with a little extra time. So um, that's why it's a long one. And uh, I don't know why we celebrate the 4th of July the way we do. I think it's because we like war. I'm not a big fan, but... I try to pretend it's thunder. Well, I I I've found there's only a a finite amount of creative juices. There's only so much output before I need more input. Yeah. Well, is, and what yeah. what serves as input for you? You mean like fuel, like some, something to get you yeah, revved just up again? actually participating in a normal day that isn't an artistic enterprise, that isn't commenting on mm-hmm. the world around it, but instead living it and being deep inside it and remembering what the weather is and the patterns of the clouds that go across the sky each day instead of being trapped in some box. So... And do you do that intentionally? Like you set aside days for that specifically? Well, yeah. Then there's the um, the hiking. Right. Right. You got to do the hiking. That's always been. Talk, let's talk about your walking career, your light, your lifelong walking, love of walking, hiking. You know, there's. Um, if you don't mind, twelve miles of highway at the end, which I just haven't been able to bring myself to do yet. You can walk from here to Santa Cruz a couple different routes, um, but uh, and it's absolutely beautiful. You, you find yourself up on ridgelines by the second night. That Through the Santa Cruz Mountains? Yeah, you... yeah, up on the, the Redwood Ridges above, or you can walk along the Pocket Beaches and Highway 1 below, and it's only sketchy for a few miles. You've done both? No, at a certain point, I've uh, pulled the plug because you're at like mile 95 (laughs) on day five. And um, 
it's you, you, the last thing you want to do is get back on pavement and asphalt and the last 12 miles you said yeah that. and cars yeah that's you, know, like, well, ah. you could hitchhike that last stretch i guess right but that's kind of that sucks too after having been totally in it you know just submerged in nature and then pop out into reality you know other people's reality yeah there's a bus stop in uh boulder creek that i can get to and if i get there then it's the uh metro station in santa cruz and then i can take okay. And and where else? I met, you used to walk over the Golden Gate Bridge with some frequency to go camp at Kirby Cove, right? Yeah, you're the one that inspired me to do that. I I walked over, I walked from Noe Valley to the Marin Headlands and camped. Yeah, it's the best place in the whole Bay Area to be in a storm because it's more protected than any other spot. All of our storms, or most of them, come from the northwest over the ocean. And it has those hills rising steeply, protecting um, better than anywhere. It's wonderful. And then you see everywhere else get blasted. Yeah, that's cool. I didn't know about that aspect of it. They, it's good storm watching. But often they close it during storms because of all the trees. Because trees fall across, yeah. yeah. But you've got, you go down there anyway sometimes. or Yeah. You know, allegedly. <laughs> A few months ago it was... Um, we, so we love to go to Bass Lake, uh-huh. and uh, we just did again yesterday morning. Uh, we get out of the house by 7 on Sunday morning, Okay, um, pulling into the Palomarin Trailhead, and uh, it, it's already half full. Oh, and, at what time? Uh, 8.20 well, or takes so. Out. Okay. And then <clears throat> uh, hiking and j- jogging two and a half miles to Bass Lake, one of the only freshwater lakes you can swim in the entire Bay Area. And we love it, and the water was just so pure and delicious. Yesterday morning, we've gone dozens of times, and that was one of our favorites. Nice. I think I saw where the osprey nest is. Oh, cool. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah that's a great uh, time. It satisfi- satisfies so many, so many needs. And what are some of your what are some of your more like expansive like you were you were just about to walk you had plans to walk four hundred miles across Ireland yeah until the f- until until your foot, foot foiled you mm-hmm. well what other things like that have you done because you've had some other epic ones I think um, our favorite thing we've ever done was when our daughter was three years old and we put on our backpacks and her on our shoulders and walked out the front door across the Golden Gate Bridge and up the coast to the Oregon border. Uh, It was 13 miles from our house to a sign in the Marin Headlands where it says 486 miles to the Oregon border. And seeing that sign once on a hike up there gave us the idea. It was like, we're going to walk this whole thing. Wow. And so it, the so trip 499 was... 499 miles was our trip. Beautiful. And uh, 45 days, about 12 Walking miles a day. the whole way. Yeah, um, there were stretches. You carrying your three-year-old... She walked a lot of it. T- she she was so sturdy. She was amazing, at, bang, uh, even bang, at that bang, age. Bang. I remember her doing flips and stuff. It was crazy. <clears throat> yeah, so... <clears throat> um, finally crossing the border. We, di- we didn't ever want that trip to end. I bet. How long was it? Six weeks. Amazing. And uh, Or 
I think that's right. Yeah. And you camped mm-hmm. throughout, or you, or you would yeah. like get. Oh, did you only camp? Every once in a while, maybe there were three or four hotel showers along the way. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, that's um, amazing, man. That what a cool thing. Nobody will ever forget that in your family. Yeah, yeah. It was. Uh, it's just so simple. You just walk out your front door and head north. It's simple, but it's <laughs> it's more daunting than most people would, you know, get past the the thinking stages of you know. Like yeah, most we, people don't <laughs> do that. We climbed the Alps with her when she was five. Uh, <laughs> Which that Alps? That was for six weeks, Italian and Swiss, and uh, yeah, that was that was pretty cool. That um, sounds amazing <clears> too. Yeah, and then. Cambodia and Thailand when she was nine, living with the elephants in the jungle. And her aunt in the Peace Corps in a much more boring um, prairie town. But doesn't still doesn't sound all that boring. The, no, it, that was the most fantastic, fascinating part of the trip when we were finally out of the tourist traps in Cambodia. Right. And seeing the, the normal life. That's what I just did in Ireland again. I had to get out of the... I, I went to Kildare, which is far famous for its horses and not much else. That's cool. And it was just normal people in a small normal town, and I really enjoyed it. But they uh, kept asking me, "Why did you come here?" Yeah, that's what people <laughs> asked me when I was in Dingle. It's just like so. It's you know all the way at the bottom and. They're, they now are known for the, because the, I think the dolphin has brought quite a bit of tourism. And before the, <clears throat> I'm, not a, I'm not sure of the lineage, but I know when I was there, there was a dolphin named Fungi, as they pronounced him, like, you know, fung, fungus, Fungi. And uh, <clears throat> he was, well, there were two legends about how, like, how Fungi came to be living in Dingle Bay. And one was that the mother was shot by locals who didn't want tourism to to bring more people into their little tiny mm-hmm. town. I don't know if that's true or not. Um, and then the other was just that the mother naturally died. But in any case, this this dolphin would not just like I mean go out to sea and hunt and stuff, but would be in the bay daily. Would like be in there and come hang out and swim and. Uh, one of my friend's friends went in there every day and went swimming and they had formed like a, a friendship. So he could go out with the paddle and just hit the top of the water and Fungi would come over and hang out. And so we went swimming with him and it was pretty intense. But so, but that, that little tiny town is probably bustling now more than it yeah. was back then. I have no idea, but it's been 20 some years. It, it's, it's definitely famous. But, but everybody at the time was like, what, what, why? why? Like you're not in Dublin or Galway. Like why? Where? Why would you go anywhere but the big towns where the pubs are? Right. But that's not where the people are. The most like people, you know, they're more performing. Yeah, it's odd uh, traveling <clears throat> everywhere. Uh, Japan, um, Mexico. Uh, the the countryside is just emptying. Uh, small towns are becoming villages and and vanishing all over the place as cities become larger and and soak them up. And it's true here as well. I've often thought it would be 
um, the right idea for a number of like-minded people to basically just invest in a small town uh, somewhere that was picturesque and really dying Mm -hmm. and... um, uh, revive it yeah everybody just buys up the city blocks it's a great idea and uh, divide it and try their own kind of millennialist tech utopia uh, (laughs) ideas out does Uh, it have to be that couldn't it just be a could it be more like an Amish you know like (laughs) community where people take care of each other and the surroundings and sure right build a little I mean it totally could happen there are a lot of towns that have been abandoned basically right all throughout this country i mean someone's just telling me last night about somewhere in michigan i think i don't know if it was east lansing or something but it's like that that happened that very thing happened where one guy actually started buying up a whole bunch of Hmm. old storefronts that were done like all the businesses had left and just were all the even the owners of the the bank or whatever who owned those buildings had just abandoned them all because they were everybody left they weren't worth anything and um, this one guy bought up like a whole city block and and then started filling it with friends who wanted to, you know, with creative spaces and they built it up into this, like basically its own town again. So it can be done. And in Detroit, it's happening right. like that on a bigger scale. But it's, you don't get to choose how it is shaped. It's shaped by the trends of the time. And yep. unfortunately, Detroit is coming back alive right at the moment where like, artisanal coffee and just all this obnoxious stuff trendy stuff is is like all the rage so in a place that used to be known for its sort of gritty you know working class urban spirit it's now these like shishi i don't know these weird designer bands and stuff that just don't fit in my eyes it's so funny the uh the current hipster uh movement is uh, certainly the, you know, spirit of the times, but it's the most inoffensive one I think we've ever had. They stand for absolutely nothing except for like handlebar mustaches and pedal pushers. There's something offensive about that though. I think I, that right. they're, that they're so, that they're, it's the complacency I think that, that bothers me. Right. The complacency about things that I think matter. But I mean, you match them up against <clears throat> something like the punks. Yeah, and you know th- these are equivalent movements at this point historically. You and think? It's like, well, sure. Just in terms Pun- of the punk, amount of honestly, time, punks versus hipsters. Ex- exactly, and the hipsters uh, they wouldn't ever see anything coming. Will someone make that graphic novel? <laughs> well, it would only be about four pages long. Yeah. Well, there'd be technology involved, so the punks would be held off, oh, perhaps, you know, for a while by, you know, graviton machines <laughs> or something. Yeah, I. Uh, but yeah, it is bizarre. They're they're mo- they're mostly innocuous, but they're not really because they're they're actually ruling the world and designing how society runs and you know influencing elections and all that. You know, people writing algorithms determining how information is distributed are more powerful than anybody right now. Yeah, the consumerist fixation that keeps their eyes lowered.
what's funny is uh, 10, 12 years later, Interstellar came out and has a sequence in it, which is almost exactly what uh, my play is. And I was like, is God it? damn it. Doesn't that suck? I've seen stuff like that happen. Uh, I feel like it gets snatched out of the ether. Like once you've thought it, it's out there. And if you don't do something with it, somebody else might. Because it's, yeah, it, it, it's more likely that inspiration will land with right. that little flavor because you put, you put a little... I think I, I believe it. That happens. You put thoughts out into the atmosphere, and others can pick them up. You know, same with energy and beliefs and physical action. I think thoughts are active. They they activate. You know. Sometimes I think I feel that, but I am of a pretty strong opinion that others feel it more strongly than I do. Okay. <laughs> it's like when you try to figure out when you're a uh, fantasy and magic nerds you're like what what kind of power would i have and you start thinking about that am i a healer uh-huh. uh, that's not really not me any. i mean if i'm a like a sorcerer like do i study books and learn arcane spells i mean i can but that doesn't make me happy just yeah. sitting alone with a, a book doing that and i like i just like create stuff out of thin air and yeah, I'm more like that kind of guy. So would that be a wizard, uh, or a, something a, like that, a yeah. mage, or what? What, what is, is it? it? I don't know all the different terms. Yeah. Uh, evoker, invoker. Are that? Can you be? Can Somebody. you be combinations of things? Because I feel like I could never <laughs> just choose one. I would. I would want to be like doing active, you know, something. I mean, back then I guess it would be battle. He'd be in battle, but, but <laughs> it, the equivalent for me now would be climbing trees or doing something physical you know yeah. walking dogs i just have to um but i also want to do i would be wanting to make stuff out of thin air and you know be creative and magical and if all those powers existed so you know can you combine all your different stuff and it seems like in a fantasy world you should you should even be able to break rules that have been established that's the thing yeah you just uh cycled <clears throat> through them uh you're you're a healer on Monday and uh, a, a musician on Tuesday. Cool. Yeah. Well, real life can be like that too if you if you free up enough time for yourself. Well, I think it's in, in our lovely gig economy. It's becoming uh, necessary for nearly everybody. It's funny because my daughter, almost the same age as yours is someone who hyper-focuses, much like I do. She gets into a project, she gets an idea, she reads a book series or watches a TV series and just watches it over again yeah, and all again in and row. again yeah. and again. Mine's like that too. And uh, there's, it, it, it's not a, a mental state that is going to be good for the gig economy where she's going to be able, have to be able to do three or four different things at once Right to keep herself afloat, so it's like, That's oh boy, point. yeah. Hope she's really good at that one thing, whatever yeah. she does. Which is tough because most, you know, the the things that people are doing are narrowing. It seems, you know, like people are right. are getting more and more focused on just a limited number of things to be interested in. You know, there are a million different versions of them, but it's the same kind of five things. You know, these different diversions that everybody seems so occupied with 
So there's, let's see, our niece who just went to UCLA to study artificial intelligence, which is a combined major of computer science and human psychology. That's an, uh, that's an actual degree, though? Um, artificial intelligence? She's making it herself, something? but it's one that was designed by a couple other campuses Wow. Uh, that she uh, wanted to go to. But yeah... Uh, there are those people, and then there's the marketing people, and yep. then there's like the legal mm -hmm. power structure people, and that's about it. And the art anymore. people. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Down there at the bottom. <laughs> the last last on the list. Just off to the last side. Last to be mentioned. Yeah. Usually not thought of yeah. at all. Uh, it's when we Usually call attention to ourselves that there's trouble. Yeah, I suppose that's right. But it's also when there's important movement and stuff, you know, in culture, when artists are... Do you mean drawing attention to, like, the individual? Or you mean the work? Or just in general? You just mean, like, when... When it becomes about the when, artist instead of, uh, instead of the art. Oh, well, that's never a good thing. Right. In my opinion. The, yeah. Uh, but it's odd how... I don't know how quickly the uh, bad sides of the internet have suddenly proliferated and made it nearly unusable uh, in growing corners. Um, That's true. Whether yeah. we uh, can't trust it uh, to take our money um, without stealing our identity uh, <laughs> or to suddenly find ourselves in some Russian troll shouting chamber combative situation. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. Ah. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, I know. Yeah. Their places are so ugly. You just don't want to spend any time there at all. And I, I don't like, I don't, I don't like to go look at things that where people are angry and yelling at each other. I don't like to see it in out in the streets either. Yeah. It doesn't feel too good. Yeah. So I'm wondering if our children are going to envision a thing that the internet is not and somehow get back a measure of credibility and sanity or if it's just uh, that communication on that scale is broken inherently. Yeah, I wonder. What do you think? What's your, what's your hint? What's your hunch? I would guess that um, we're leading toward things with quantum encryption and blockchain technology and um, a, a, a type of architecture and an open architecture philosophy that allows people to uh, credibly trust a new network from end to end. And in that network, I wouldn't be surprised if you actually did have to use your own identity uh and not hide behind aliases oh okay um you say we're leaning toward that you think we are well i think we're going in about 20 different directions yeah at once, and i mean i feel like the one of government's them. pushing <clears throat> strongly in one direction oh sure and um, yeah, that's another reason the internet's dying yeah <clears throat> once the uh they finally kill net neutrality, net neutrality yeah. then it's just going to be cable plus it's yeah. just going to be super yeah and probably twice as expensive. 
Yeah, yeah. Immediately, or within like a couple months. They'll act like they're not going to raise the price, and then suddenly... <laughs> and then we'll realize we don't actually need it for anything except those NFL games. But wait, I don't even care about that anymore. Yeah, I hope that happens for more and more people. I mean, that's one... I don't know. I really don't know what the next generation is going to bring, for, you know, in terms of <laughs> the children who are becoming adults and what they're going to be interested in and, and pursuing. And also in terms of what, uh, it just politically, it just looks like it's a, it just went so quickly into the shitter, you know, <laughs> and it's just been like swirling around in this really nasty place for however many years it's well, been since. <clears throat> there was a German minister at the beginning of Trump's term responding to a Democrat congressman who was apologizing and saying, no, we will deal with this. We will take care of it. And he said, no, look, I'm sorry, my friend. We're done with you. Mm. This is twice. Yeah. There was Bush first. Remember how he treated us? And then Obama, and we thought, okay, maybe America isn't crazy yeah, after all. Chance. But then you elected this one. We are done. That's how most like, of the world feels oof, now. Yeah. Goodbye. And you don't, I mean, all we have is our allies because we don't, and none of them are allies because we're friends. They're allies because we force them to be, you know, <laughs> we build bases on their things or we give them guns for whatever they have. It's pretty messed up. I mean, to go to like flaunt your power and make enemies of all your, all the people who are supposed to support you. It's pretty surely going to end in something disastrous. Well, I have a solution, and it's something I've been talking about for a long time, and it's called cruise ships in space. And <laughs> I the, like it already. Yeah, the thing is, if we build giant cruise ships in space that go and tour Earth orbit and you know maybe do flybys of Venus and Mars, um, and you stock them with tens or hundreds of millions of uh, people, the people who very much love the idea of going on a five-year cruise. Some of us don't ever want to go on a five-year cruise. I wouldn't go on a five-day cruise myself. It would yeah. drive me crazy. Yeah. But most of the people in my family would be like, oh my God, that's heaven. What? Buffet? Every day? Shows? For five years, for really? For five years and sail like around. And then you just keep building the ships and sending them off. And okay. whenever new people are born who would rather spend their time on a cruise ship, yeah. go ahead. Um, it's It would make the rest of us so happy to stay here without that particular demographic. That's which a it pretty would, cool yeah. solution if they're, if those people in fact want to be doing that. And it's, right. and it's not just this like decision that like, well, this subset of society is going to be flying around the planet right. no, for they get to 10 come years back. while we have peace here. Yeah. And they get to come back and visit, okay. at, you know, the end of the five-year loop they or whatever. dock and come right. ashore for and a bit. And then they're like, oh, this place is so dirty. And then they go all the way again. Except it won't be because we'll be all, they're going to come back and find utopia because we'll, we'll be like so happy that right. we had But we just keep again. building them. Yeah. Keep uh, sending them off. Yeah. What about prisons in space? What do you think of that? I think it. Uh, I'm not saying I'm for it. It's just an idea that occurred to me. I think it. I think prisons are awful. Personally, in absolutely. prisons on land are awful, and prisons anywhere. But I've, 
I've had a couple. But of I just that sorry, I just the, that idea occurred to me because that's exactly what I would see a government doing with that technology. I was like, oh wait, we could just put them in orbit, and it wouldn't be five years; it'd be fifty or a hundred or indefinitely. Yeah, I've had a couple ideas about this. What the future may hold, um, especially with pharmaceuticals and things like robots uh, who become personal assistants. What if? you're on parole and that means you get followed around by one of the new Boston Dynamics uh, uh, creatures mm -hmm. who's able to either um, has, you know, somebody at mission control watching you yeah. and assessing you or the, the algorithms through have 15 cameras. And, right. And uh, that, you know, when they see you engaging in any behavior that you're not supposed to, sure, you're out on the street and you're back in society, but they're watching you they could, or they could probably just like tether you on the spot. Like the robot could just be like electronic tether. You're not right. moving. Mm -hmm. Or the pharmaceuticals around. get good enough that for many people, we're, we're guiding them away from any antisocial behavior that we don't want. And that robot is there to enforce the schedule. Wow. And I was thinking, terrifying. I know, <laughs> uh, but I was, I was like, you know, <clears throat> right now, I I just had I was driving across market at Sanchez and a guy on you know a, a absolutely tweaking his face off mm -hmm. reeling away across my hood and I was like okay sociopathic thought number 2 why don't we make his meds really sweet like candy and slightly addictive uh-huh and so you he know, actually wants them exactly. The so time, he's yeah. like really craving the oh me, the meds that actually make him not not the bad stuff, not crack, you know, right. and and uh, pharmaceuticals. It would just make him no. docile or something. Like, is that what you is that what you foresee? It's like was, any meds would just be used to sort of restrict <laughs> maniacal behavior. From yeah, I mean, someone in my life just found the correct. Uh, drug for their brain mm. and all of a sudden their life is falling into place oh, wow. for That's the first cool. time. And yeah. And so it's not happening for everybody all the time, but when uh, it does, it's yeah. It's and, almost... and more and more and more we're learning. But don't you also more need more. so much other support? I mean, you can't take the tweaker who no, rolled across your hood and plop them like just use pills. You have to like, to have support and therapy and community. That's the thing. And... We, I, I, at this point, I mean, the the homelessness uh, that we have, which started in like 1981, I feel like I remember it. I remember the world pre-homeless problem in the mm. 70s mm. and then post it when all of a sudden people, many of them, you know, released from the mental institution, the federal mental institutions. Um, yeah, but... Uh, you think that's when it began in this country or, or really started to ramp up? Yeah, it, it became... 80s, early yeah, 80s. It, it became an actual... Was it Reagan, Reagan policy that... Yeah, that, uh, he started that policy first in California when he was governor here, hmm. and then he instituted it nationally saying that the um they were horrible that federal mental institutions like one flew over the cuckoo's nest were just absolute 
mad, sadistic madhouses. But mm-hmm. um, uh, he said cities and counties would be much better to deal with them and then shut them down and, of course... And gave no funding to right, the cities course, and counties yeah. to do it. Right. Great. Just, so uh, they actually probably let tons mm-hmm. of those people just walk. Just like, sorry, we don't have a place yeah. anymore for you. <laughs> Although I have seen uh, quite a lot of uh, revisionism coming from the right about that issue. Hmm. Now, what a shock. Right. <laughs> and saying that that's not what happened. But yeah. It's like, yeah. Well, you should probably believe that uh, yeah. and, and not the stories of the actual right. people who experienced it. Or my own eyes. Or your own eyes, yeah. Yeah, revisionist history is uh, is kind of all we have anymore. I don't, I don't see too many people just sticking to the, to the truth of what happened. It's just like, I mean, left and right, people are slanting things through these lenses that yeah, well, it's funny because there's also just so much media. There's so so much signal going through our eyes and ears and so much saturation in our brains. Our ancestors, even our parents and grandparents, <clears throat> didn't have to deal with this right. amount, you know. It's unlike the, any other period of human history. <clears throat> Like the amount of input that's like just yeah, beaming into our senses, fundamentally changing our brains. It has to. It has to be doing something to this totally elastic machine that you know is used to receiving a lot of input at a time and filing it and do, you know assessing, but not this, not on this level, and not that especially when it's like negative, you know, like a news, a news thing in your ear all the time that's saying the thing. like this is horrible wow world's a scary place oh this just happened this is you know and it's all done in that fear-mongering way anyway so yeah you know the nice little meditation tape to go to sleep to like the horrific <laughs> events of the day that you know whether they happen or not all the things you could imagine i Weird think we to- have to just turn that shit off completely and start looking at a different like creating a different reality by not participating so much in that one tell the the rattlesnake story okay oh boy um so uh lake pillsbury up by ukiah we went with my daughter who was 20 months old and my niece who was 10 um 10 months 10 years 10 years okay and laura and i had been going to this wonderful spot up there 
in the at the edge of Mendocino National Forest for a number of years that nobody else seemed to know. Beautiful swimming hole and just uh, couldn't be found. And it the name of it actually has an Indian curse to it. And so it's just like there's a reason that people don't go there. Really? What's the name? It's the Bloody Rock Trail. And do you know what it's what happened? What the event was that it's uh, the local um, Indians, rather than giving up to the marauding ranchers, uh, threw themselves off the cliff. Yikes! Hundred ten feet, uh, seventy nine of them. Wow! And uh, yeah, so there are ghosts in that canyon, and um, we. Brought the girls down. Laura said, God, that's only two and a half miles to the creek here. And I feel like I just got to warm up. You know what? I'm going to go back to the car and get these five other things that I thought maybe I wouldn't bring. Maybe I would. And now I will. So I, I go, okay. And I stay with the girls. And we're you had playing. already gone two and a half miles? Mm-hmm. And we're playing so, in the so creek. She was going to do <clears throat> a five mile yeah. Like, jaunt. Yeah. And okay. uh, she... Uh, and... A, one hour passes, two hours pass, and as the third hour passes, <clears throat> I'm starting to get concerned. This is much longer than she ever takes. Um, she knows that uh, we're waiting. And finally, I see her up on the bluff above the river, you know, 800 yards away, shouting my name, waving, and I call out to her. And then I wait another 20 minutes, but she doesn't come down. And I think, okay, I see, I, I saw her. I guess I she was um, staging things at the top of the bluff. Maybe I'll go up to the top of the bluff, <clears throat> see if there's anything there. Maybe she's going back to the car again. Maybe she's bringing everything. Mm-hmm. And uh, I take um, 20, 30 paces, say, calling out Laura, in my sandals, and I feel bang on my <clears throat> right ankle. And I thought immediately that, you know, when you're out dog walking, um, there are sticks that are st- stuck up, roots. Yeah, like the old rake in yeah. the cartoon. Yeah, shoots and, uh, up and hits you. I thought stabs that, you in the ankle. Right, that's, that a broken off stick had stabbed me in the ankle. Mm. And it wasn't until I saw the the flash of the white belly out of the corner of my eye as the snake withdrew that I realized what happened. And then I just, oh, fuck. Because you knew the severity of a rattle, what a rattlesnake. You knew it was a rattlesnake, right? Yeah. First of all. Yeah. And uh, I backed up and it retreated to this hollow log that it had been coiled in and had migrated to in the several hours since we had arrived there next to the trail. And I um, yelled at it and cursed at it. And then the girls showed up, the 10-year-old holding the baby. And I said, no, stop. You have to stop right there. I can't get back to you. There's no... I, I don't... There's... The, the way that the trail is set up... It was impassable except for right there where the snake was. And I said, and... And they had been hike. They had been walking, like, 
apart from you or you walked oh you went I had, back i had past, left them i got at the, you yeah. you walked like 30 pack just off right down the trail. to call to see if laura see. had staged the things on okay. the bluff and uh yeah they uh and i said i'm sorry i'm, I'm actually gonna have to leave you here and laura will be right back but i have to go and get this taken care of and the 10 year old is just shaking and nodding her head like and freaked out, like or or like I, I'm okay. I can do okay. Yeah. Did you explain why, or did you? Oh yeah. You knew I you said just... there's a snake right there. And I but I mean, did you explain and... like physically what was going to happen if you didn't get the it? The ten year old knew. Okay. She's she's she thought she was going to be a forensic pathologist for oh, many wow. years. Okay, yeah. so that's good. She's you didn't have to kid. go into detail. You just said I need to go handle this. <clears throat> right, and so I also knew that about um, only thirty percent of uh, rattlesnake bites are do they inject venom usually they're dry bites because it's very biologically expensive for them to produce the venom they don't like spending it mm. and so snakes don't just sit there coiled next to the side of the trail right ready waiting to kill for, somebody yeah that's that's also exhausting they right. don't like being exhausting snakes are very lazy yeah and so um well they have to stay warm they have to yeah they, they and and so I'm like, what? how could this happen? Mm. That I just suddenly triggered this. For years I had taught myself, when I see a, a rattlesnake, when I hear the hiss, to actually, if the angle is correct and it makes sense, to keep walking through because they're still gathering. Right. And by the time they have gathered, you're already outside their range of attack. And you've moved through, and you're not in a confrontation with it, the snake anymore. So you don't usually just freeze next to the sound. Right, you right. bust out it, of there. Right. You try to overcome that initial instinct to just lock yep. and go, no, is there a way around this before the snake? Because it's giving me warning to give away, right. to get away. It doesn't want to spring. It's fucking lazy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I couldn't believe it. And so I started hiking up the bluff. Couldn't but, find Laura. But you don't know, like when it, whether it's a venomous bite or not, you won't know for a little while. Like in my how, case, how it was about ten minutes. Okay. And then I could feel the tingling at the okay. tips of my fingers, my tongue, base of my skull. Tingling, like like it's going numb, or like it's like like a dentist drug. Okay. Like Novocaine kind mm -hmm. of thing, and I was like, oh fuck, mm. and I'm wearing these strap sandals. And my foot's starting to swell so much that it's cutting into the... And I'm releasing it, and I'm calling out, Laura, Laura, where are you? And what I don't know, in in order to make this sound less heinous up front, is that Laura has already circled a, a back around. Um, she's the one who scared the snake uh, initially, uh, put it into an on-guard position, retreated, uh, going, oh, I can't get past it now and oh, then shit. i come blundering up the trail from the other direction so she had just been coming back right and, but she'd uh, had to retreat and then found a way through the creek and to the girls less than five minutes after i left them oh my so God. they were all fine my but you didn't know that at this i didn't point. know that you were hauling ass back <laughs> right to shouting laura laura i get all the way back to the car i'm shouting i hear mopeds in the distance i don't know who they are but I um, am shouting, hoping for somebody to give me help. I get back to the car, 
And I grabbed my pockets and go, oh, my God, do I even have my car keys? And I did. Oh. And I was like, oh, I usually have gotten rid of them by this point. That's just a single that fact factor whether or not I would have survived right there. And then hop into the car, try to drive this one minivan off the road, tell them that I'd left two girls in the woods. They had to go back and help them. And these people were like, uh, we're done here in the woods. We have to go. Oh, man. Um, we'll call 911 when we get uh, some range. And I was like, fuck you. That sucks. Yeah. And it... took off, drove <laughs> on the 4th of July across the lawn at the... Lake Pillsbury Ranger Station, where the Rangers were having their Fourth of July celebration. Oh wow! You're hauling ass right at them, and you're trying. <laughs> yeah. And I stop, and they're like, "Hey, get off the lawn!" And I fall out <laughs> of the car. Emergency for you, gentlemen. Ugh. And uh, they jump into gear and call me a life flight. But the girls, it turns out we had gone up a trail that was supposed to be closed, although we had asked. We'd even checked in with the locals. They said it was still a good hike. Turns out that the rangers were about to do an operation against the Mexican mafia who were growing uh, weed up there in Lake County. So they said, what, your girls are up there all by themselves? Oh, my God, you didn't see the barricade? What barricade? There were no barricades on this road, on H1 County Road. Yes. And so they went in with dogs and searchlights and M4s. <clears throat> Jesus. And, uh, I didn't hear about that part. And brought the girls out, and I was already at the local intensive care. They life-flighted me, shot me up with fentanyl. How, and, how long uh, do you have from the time being bitten before like paralysis and things like that are so it's primarily a uh, hemotoxic with secondary neurotoxic properties okay so most of the venom what it's doing is it's a spiky ball that is popping cells and turning them into undifferentiated liquid so that the rattlesnake can eventually see it it, it eats gophers right it, 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 it zaps a gopher like this. The gopher curls up and dies. Ten hours later, when the rattlesnake eats the gopher, it's fur covering jelly. Right. And that's what it started to do to my leg. And because it was so pissed off because Laura had spooked it, um, it delivered a fatal load of venom into my leg. What saved me, two things were that because it hit my ankle bone, it was a shallow insertion, so it was just subcutaneous mm. and stayed there for the most part. Um, and then the other thing was, even though this isn't indicated for most scenarios, uh, the fact that I walked and dispersed it subcutaneously th throughout a lot of my system uh, lessened the shock, they think. Wow. But if it had been in, like, if it hit an artery or a vein... I'd be dead. You, and it mm -hmm. got into your system, and then you were circulating it, you would have been done Yeah, for then it goes right to your liver. Right. And it that's just crashes where, it. Yeah, it turns it to liquid, and then... Amazing. Yeah, it just turn, and eats you from the inside out. Um, but mine did this extremely odd thing. I was in three different hospitals over the next eight days, and um, it swelled up to the size of a 
purple and yellow grapefruit beneath my skin Oof. and then traveled up the outside of my leg from Whoa. my ankle to the outside of my knee to my hip. And that I had been home. I actually checked myself out of uh, the hospital up north. And then when I saw it one morning, this huge mass still under my skin travel toward my liver. What the fuck? I was man? like, ah, I have to go back you to the hospital. You were watching this thing like move its way up your leg? Yeah. And we how, had, like how like, quickly? Um, it was traveling, you know, an inch a day more. That's so disturbing. Man. Oh, it was horrible. This is just this toxic mass yes. that's like moving its way well, and, under and, your skin. but And it know. was also my own... It was it was a, your own tissue and, right and, oh. and the it turns out that a dose of antivenom isn't you know in 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 the wilderness kit it's like the size of your pinky nail right, right? It's, tiny. it's like beep yeah well no in a therapeutic dose in the hospital they hook you up to an IV and it's a pint of sheep antibodies Jesus just and, being pumped straight into your right. blood and none of the places that I went to any of the staff had ever worked with rattlesnake bites before. So they only had their online research and it was Crofab antivenom again and again and again. And I I get secondary reactions to bee stings and wasp stings uh-huh. and rattlesnake bites, it turns out as well. But they couldn't separate the symptoms. So they just, they emptied every dose of antivenom on, from every hospital on the West Coast into me. What the uh, hell? Just trying everything, just four, crap shoot. Like Forty-eight a, pints. What? The, are you serious? So yeah, and the problem that I had was because they had me on opiates the whole time, it absolutely constipated me. It kept oh. me from being able to pass anything for yeah. eight, eight days. Oh. So I uh, had all of this poisonous mass in my digestive tract, and that was what finally took years to heal my digestive tract was that's incredible just so damaged by the poison sitting there for so long that's where it wound up somehow it got to your stomach yeah and there were all kinds of other things of um all the acupuncture six months of acupuncture and my friend finding black crystals in you know the arteries of my ankle and what? breaking them up with his uh, it's a traditional chinese medicine thing but i Definitely passed a whole bunch of black matter right just after like, it. Whatever, just like carbon or some shit yeah. that condensed into Poison. crystals. Yeah. yeah. Wow. I That's mean, so you messed know, up. Man. Had, had nightmares where I uh, had become the snake. Really? You know, that it, it wasn't trying to kill me. It was trying to take me over. All that craziness. You, I, it's not that crazy if you have this like, I mean, it's like a Stephen King book really just this like thing inside you cl- climbing and crawling up yeah there. yeah it took a long time to feel like i was free of it and uh, uh yeah i'm sorry that's i didn't uh, i'm sorry i made you just retell the whole thing i, I didn't realize quite how horrific it's the one story it, i haven't been <laughs> ever able to write really just yeah, too it, much like emotional content or? yeah it's just too much i don't want to go there yeah there that deeply again it was well, thank you for recounting it for well, the listeners. It's pretty pretty amazing, and I'm really glad you survived and knew what to do. And well, you know. I mean, I didn't because I walked in through rattlesnake country wearing sandals. 
Yeah, uh, I guess that was maybe maybe that wasn't the yeah, first. Right. I mean, I, I made several, move. several mistakes, and they finally caught up to me. Um, but you're a seasoned hiker and camper, and you know, sort of naturalist type. So yeah, I mean, I mean, you're more aware than lots of people. I can't. I can't not go. I've I've had poison oak over a hundred times. I've been chased by bears. I've fallen off cliffs. I can't not be there though. Yeah. I, I, uh, it's. I feel so alive. I I, I'm not sure I've ever been, in a bad mood when I'm out in the natural world. That's a really good point. I when I think about it, I, whatever, terrible news happens, you go. Yeah. Oh well. I'll figure something out. Yeah. There's never any of that modern angst. The only way that I can see it happening would be is if you're with another person and it's an argument that you're like carrying I've, with I've you done, through I, Yeah, I've nature. definitely been through that. Yeah, me too. But yeah. but otherwise, like if it's you alone in the elements, you can't mm-hmm. you can't really be upset about stuff anymore. Not yeah. for very long. And I think about all my ideas and and that's all it would take for us to sort of recalibrate and calm down and be nice again. If we had access to that, we could just go out and be peaceful for a minute. You know, I think that's what backyards are supposed to be, but they've, they've, I don't know, people don't use them or they've gone away or people forgot that you're supposed to be communing with the thing of which we are made, you know? Yeah. I've always thought that, um, the, the dogs and cats who we care for and, um, whom, people treat as exotic pets as Laura calls them. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, they do so because it's their last remnant of our shared agrarian past where we all had tons of animals, geese and pigs and cows and goats mm. and tons of dogs and cats. So many, you don't even have names for them. Yeah. All. You don't know them all. And we've, generation by generation concentrated that down to a single animal totally fetishized you know with his own bed and his instagram channel and favorite tv shows (laughs) that's true and uh we do it you know we've gone from farming fields to these few house plants and we've made all of them neurotic somehow but it's all so many people have left i keep thinking that if we are able to actually get the 40 acre and mule um, scenario back with a lot of automated help that we um, people love their um, uh, farmville um, right uh, build, choosing, a, build a city build mm-hmm. a farm thing right yeah. um, but if they were if that app was actually connected to real robots on yeah. the other end, and you're sitting there on 40, 40 acres and a robot. Really. Right, exactly. And you're able to get somebody else to do the backbreaking work that absolutely wrecked our ancestors mm. and made farming so incredibly difficult and life consuming. Right. But instead, you just automate that part and make all the executive decisions. Yeah. And that's actually a pretty good life. Yeah, it is. Uh, you have then, a lot more time left over to do what you want. Right. And you don't need to farm 20 acres. I mean, right. you hardly don't have to need get that. up 4 a.m. Yeah, if you're just uh, feeding yourself or your family, right? You, you could do three acres, or yeah, whatever. or even less. It's but uh, uh, that's the uh, gentleman farmer future I envision.
been thinking about anything that you wanted to talk about or did you it's funny i thought maybe i was going to come here and um talk about trail goblins oh yeah <laughs> what are those so um god i was hiking uh have you ever been up to the san juan islands in washington I'm, at the Canadian border. Uh, is it like where Bellingham and and I think I have like Even I've further gone to north. some yeah. Okay, it's like across across the water is Victoria. Yeah, Vancouver Island. Well, I've been there, and I feel like I'm. I've oh, okay. done other ferry rides around there, but so anyway. Yes. So yes. Yes. There. Okay. Um, and. Trail goblins. Yes, right. So I was uh, hiking up there once, and I uh, found um, myself along a stretch, a shaded stretch with trees, and my overactive nerd imagination thought, what if five or six goblins just (laughs) popped out of the brush like our ancestors have always feared? Right. That's why we invented them, or, you know, whatever. Yeah, all the ghouls and... Yes. Yeah. Uh, uh, what would I do? Right. How would I deal with it? Right here, right now. How would I deal with that? And uh, from that point on, whenever my mind would wander and I was out hiking very often by myself, I'd think to myself something like that. Oh, wow. This is a horrible place to get caught. And it- finally, I decided to develop it into a... Uh, an on-the-trail role-playing game called Trail Goblins. Nice. And um, what you do before you go on any hike of any length is you choose your loadout, one of eight different, you know, like your twenty-two rifle and a hatchet. Okay. Or, you know, a shotgun and a bow, bow and arrow. Knife. Yeah, yeah, right. Okay. And, uh, and <sighs> Excuse me. Um, they each do the equivalent of Dungeons and Dragons kind of dice damage. Okay. And then whenever what I, so I started actually playing this as a game and I drew up the tables and everything else. Nice. And it's only three pages in length and it's, um, and each of the encounters is only five or 10 minutes. But when you stop, you're on the trail and you think I want to have, I want to eat an apple and massage the sore spot and wait a minute. I think I heard something. And then you uh, are like, I know that I have this shotgun and uh, a Bowie knife. So I've heard something where, well, I go to this other app on my phone, which is a random number generator. Uh And I divide everything into, you know, one through 12 around me like a clock. And I roll that one through 12. Oh, it's coming from over there, sector eight. Oh my God, that's off the trail. Who is it? Well, I'll roll one through 20 to see which of these monsters that occupy this universe, um, the goblins and trolls and witches and uh, little imps and, and everything else that might be coming down the trail toward me. And then what do I do? Okay, well, do I have initiative like in the Dungeons and Dragons model? Uh, and if I do, you know, where do I hide? Okay, I get off the trail. I'm over here behind this tree. So I go and I actually get off the trail and hide behind the tree. And I'm like, oh, yeah. Oh, I can see now further down the trail than I thought I could from here. And you are able to build a story in 
this natural setting that is very short and sweet. Um, and I've, my record is three days that I've been out and finally they got me the hobgoblins. I was just, I was ruined. I had almost no health left. My weapons had all broken. I was limping, uh, figuratively down the trail. But you had been fighting off. I've been, yeah. Wave after wave. I've been burned. My entire right side of my body had been burned. So each time you stopped Mm -hmm. to do this, you would actually, you would use your number generator and enact a battle and do right. Right. For five or 10 minutes. That's amazing. For Um, three days, you did that. Yeah. Yeah. Camping overnight. And Uh that's so cool, man. And then, uh, and I've done it with friends. We did this one epic, uh, a desert Anza Borrego um, trip where my friend, his, his weapon broke and we were at the edge of a Canyon and he, uh, he, we were watching these trolls climb up toward us, ravening, here they come. And uh, he said, Oh my God, I lost my other weapon and this one jammed. I have nothing else. And I said, okay, well, what's your move? What do you do? And I'll roll it for you. And he just looked and went, ah, and picked up a boulder almost the size of himself and dislodged it and sent it spinning down the uh, notch right where our fictitious trolls would have been. But Um, he actually did it. But he actually did it. And he stood, ah, bringing the realism and the fiction together um but don't worry we were 10 miles away from any other careful about crushing anything yes anybody okay uh but uh yes wow uh well that's better than video games well yeah and you're out there acting like first you know first person kids love games that you're doing you are the player right right and i think that it has a a future as an augmented reality thing totally uh someday that's really cool Um, do you ever think about that getting into designing those worlds yeah i've talked to a few people um we'll see someday that's cool man yeah yeah so what i ended up doing though was figuring out what what is that world and who are these creatures and why are they coming here Mm -hmm. and i that spun off into a series of uh middle grade action horror novels called the horror wars okay and i've finished the second i'm almost through with the second one the first one is out woe is me um is out and it's uh available on amazon and really these are books that you self-publish yeah and i've done the audiobook um uh, awesome man uh for it and um what ends up happening is it's this world and we're up in um reading Okay. And um, it's these high school kids, uh, Mac and Lacey, mm-hmm. who are best friends. And uh, they finally get caught up in the horror wars that have now started their third year. Whenever there's a bad storm, sometimes the black clouds come in and fire off purple and green lightning. And wherever those hit, you'll have a squad of goblins or trolls um, or ogres just appear looking, screaming for blood. Um, and take off running right at us. And this has happened now for years and we've developed uh, different military responses and it's changed our society in this way and that. Um, how often do the storms come? 
with increasing frequency oh, throughout wow. uh, the series, the series it becomes builds. more and more apocalyptic. Wow. So the first one is very much uh, trolls and goblins and witches. And the second one is more about ghosts and gargoyles and vampires. And there's a third, which will be demons and dragons in the deserts of L.A. Nice. Um, but the what I'm doing with them is using them to as a cloak to access the uh, really gnarly shit that my daughter went through in, in, as a 6th, 7th, 8th grader. And, really? Uh, in middle school? Yeah. And to those were very much horror thriller kinds of years. I remember they were for me, too. Totally. In seventh grade, we actually... Um, things got so bad uh, for her class that we threw a party at the Presidio Bowl bowling alley called Seventh Grade Stinks, But That's Okay. Mm -hmm. And uh, everybody came and cried all night, you know, like 30 kids, but they said wow. it was the best party of the year. Because people actually got to be real and Right, but emotional. seventh grade is just horrible. Yeah. And uh, and all, all of those years are. And so just the, the like the body dysmorphia and the deep unhappiness, the suicidal ideation and all kinds of crazy stuff that all of them are going through together. Yeah. Um, I speak about in this horror landscape and give characters and creatures personifications of many of these elements characteristics and yeah things. yeah and cool. so i hope because it's it, it reads like playing a video game mm -hmm. there's so much action in right. it um that it's uh for reluctant readers mm -hmm. and for the kids who otherwise wouldn't care about reading this or that but if it it's exciting enough and yeah. they can relate to it yeah it... so i want to get into libraries and and do that that's awesome man that's really cool things about middle age is how many skills you accumulate yeah you know, like oh and now i'm going to do the audiobook version of it and now i'm going to do the stage version of it and i yeah. just have i can I, you know I've, how to do them all I've figured out how to do all this That's stuff. awesome yeah 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 well it's not i don't know if it necessarily comes with middle age but mm -hmm. if you're you know curious and motivated and you work hard 
you then it then it does you can yeah. accrue all kinds restless. of restless yeah well that maybe that's all it is <laughs> i don't know i think it's just if you feel the creative flow within you you got to find a place to uh, you need an outlet you need to find a place to you know express it and if it fuels you while you're doing that then why would you ever stop you know if yeah. it's the if that very thing that you engage yourself with for joy brings you more joy and more energy to do more of it then that's insanity to do anything else yeah except when you uh, need to pay the bills and then right that's, that's the interruption <laughs> well it's it, this is such a particularly california conversation um having just traveled again and and left our lovely bubble mm -hmm. um just to talk about like working from home or doing anything kind yeah. of free timey kind of creative stuff. You yeah. Mean? And also just, and seeking the ultimate life. Yeah. Yeah. That is it. I guess that's true. Um, that we get relentlessly mocked elsewhere. By everyone else. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> and I, Probably even our immediate neighbors and, and, and across the globe. Like I think it's kind of everybody. Yeah. Thinks we're a bunch of nutcases. Well, I mean, like Laura, who grew up all over the country, she, her common refrain is, typical Californians uh, can't eat a piece of fruit that's just a little bit unripe or spoiled or anything. Everything has to be perfect all the time. Yeah. And we're like, but we're, so, look, I have eight different plums in front of me right. why would i why choose? choose the rotten one right i have six of them that look really damn good yeah and i'm going to choose those yeah that's not being californian that's being smart right just we just like, live in a land of plenty i'm right. sorry that you didn't grow up in a I land know. of plenty but it's true it does mess with your perspective you start to become entitled and there's a, probably more entitlement well, in california than than like the another third of the country yeah but the I mean, remembering your roots is the antidote to that, though, and being humble and not. But who allowing... does that anymore? <laughs> For real, I, I mean, who's doing? Who's like really? thinking think about it... their heritage and and being? Who's being humble? Is about is more more. There like are, it. I think, a, a fair number of people who are still very sincere and. For it, sure, they're out there, but it's just that anyone who's trying to be seen in any sort of way, right? It's hard to do that. I mean, I. I I think it's you can. I think it's possible to be the person that you are, and if you're if you have humility, you can still be like have a, present yourself on a platform and not be looking for, you know, ego boost type stuff. You're just trying to engage with people, which is what I'm doing, you know. And I think it's, I think it's possible to do it and be authentic, but it's it is weird. It's like this. There's so much attention, pass being passed around right now, and all this grabbing of like the spotlight. That everybody wants a little piece of. I think it still is the loud minority, though, and I yeah, think sure there right. there is yeah. a silent majority that is still generally filled with common sense and level headedness and need for stability, regardless of whether that's a good idea or not. You think that's the majority still? When I, whenever I drive across the country, I'm always forcefully reminded of this fact that this country somehow is full of 300 million generally nice people uh, who all speak the same kind of language, culture, milieu, um, and all, you know, have agreed on mini malls and bad food <laughs> and... Um, 
bad entertainment. Yeah, but all the way across the country. But they're all, almost everybody that you meet is perfectly decent. And somebody who Mo- you feel mostly. like. I don't know. I mean. You could like trust your kids with. Really? Yeah, just like again well, and again you, how, throughout. Where? I mean, it, I the think one it, place that we didn't feel this way yeah. was, so Laura's um, mom had a, a checkered past. And in order to check up on it, uh, it led us to Albany, New York. And as soon as we, we had driven across the country and had nothing but stellar, um, I mean, we weren't in downtown Detroit, like, uh, um, at midnight or anything, but we, we, you know, were through a number of different cities, but all of a sudden found ourselves in Albany and, um, there were people like trying to hijack an ambulance and uh, getting into a hair pulling fist fight right in front of it. And, you know, 12 blocks later, uh, some other thing and they're throwing their shoes at each other and it's just like a war zone uh, all of a sudden. So, I mean, I'm not saying it's all. Yeah. uh, I I mean, when you said 300 million, I think you have to take a chunk out. I mean, however many, what is it now? 350 that we're at or three. What's right, the 338. Something like that. So probably those 38 million are probably not too cool. Like they, well, the if thing, you run into the wrong... And it also depends on who you are as you're traveling through yes, that, you know, yes. you attract... Although I think that the bad. actually physically violent or active minority is really small, especially yeah. these days. It seems like fewer and fewer people... Uh, as each generation goes by, feel the need to act out in public physically. And now what we're seeing is a lot of that channeled into social media. But I don't see those people on the street when I'm traveling across the country. Those shut-ins and neckbeards are still in their parents' basements. They aren't out there. They're filling their heads with poison in the basement. Yeah. And so it is skewed in that way. And there is a selective... But then they're also Bias just like opportunists people who are and actually outside. Right. <laughs> but there are people who just like will take advantage of you and, you know, like they're sure, sure. they're just not really looking out for anyone but themselves. Oh, yeah. And you encounter them on the road oh, sure. periodically. Sure. But I do know what you mean. I mean, I think by and large, we it's a some, well, it's, it's weird though. It's like a, it's a civil society in most ways. And then it's unbelievably uncivil in su- in specific ways you know yeah no absolutely i'm i'm you know uh it's super easy for me straight white guy um we had this horrible uh moment when we got to borrow my parents rv my parents are in their 70s they have one of the uh mercedes sprinters oh, uh, wow. converted Beautiful. Beautiful. It gets better gas mileage than my uh, Subaru or yeah. Toyota. Anything yeah, those I've things had. are amazing. And but sleeps four people. And um, we took it up to Vancouver Island a few years ago, and on the way back pulled into a state park in Oregon, and I jumped out. And we'd been on the road for a couple of weeks. I was tan. I'm this California guy up yeah. in Oregon. Jumping out of the, the Mercedes RV, like, and here comes my blonde wife, my blonde daughter, and our blonde, curly, golden doodle dog. Oh, great. And I turn and look and go, holy fuck. 
what happened? How this happened? This isn't us, I That's swear. Amazing. And I like went uh, and made peace offerings to everybody by offering to get them high for like the next several days until just to make up for like, this a- isn't appearing really, to be douchey. This isn't, yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah, I was I felt horrible. Well, but you're certainly not that person and and it shouldn't you know, well, you're like, allowed we, to have a fancy ride once in a while. Yeah. It's to me that's just hilarious because I know the truth of what you I mean, you just walk five hundred miles with your toddler, you know, you just talked about that. So it's not like We love living in the dirt. Yeah. Yeah, it's good. It's good for you. Yeah. Bare feet on the earth. Yeah, it's it's amazing how few people do anymore. Yeah. People who are afraid of grass. I know people who are Afraid of long grass. There might be a whole generation that's going to be yeah. afraid of grass. Yeah. It's like <laughs> the most benign plant we've Well, and it actually engineered. feels good. It feels right. good on your feet. Mm-hmm. It feels amazing. And even that, they're like, oh, there could be a snake there in there. something in there. Yeah. Poisonous frog from the Amazon. Amazing. Yeah, but they're not afraid of mind rot or, you know, anything no, that could come from the abuse of whatever other indulgences people get into. Yeah, it's um I um I'm happy that our media landscape has become so rich and I th- think a lot of my dreams have come true. Um your sci-fi dreams or well, just, just like yeah, like, we're like trying to visualize and... what what the best possible and I mean at this point um, you know, we're in year three of Netflix buying like a hundred shows mm-hmm. a year, which is just a mind boggling amount. Um, There's pilot season used to be like 20, yeah. um, for decades and yeah. And Amazon matching them. And then Hulu is ramping up now. And suddenly there, if you've got a really great solid, uh, TV show idea and you can get, any player in Hollywood interested, um, you're set. You stand a chance of um, being. Yeah, one it's of the big it's ones. It, the the gateway. Right now are the executive producers and showrunners who um, currently have success and have the ear of the uh, the executives. Right. Um, and do you have access to any of those folks or people who do? Uh, every once in a while, I still toss bombs down there. Mm-hmm. Like I wanted. I want to do a show called ICU mm-hmm. um, and it happens in a hospital um, and it's spelled uh, the letters I see you like right. the intensive care unit. Um, and it's a, uh, we never leave the hospital. It's a procedural like St. Elsewhere or ER. Okay. Um, but it happens during an alien invasion, uh, which starts, uh, through season one and two, more like Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Okay. And gives that kind of creepy ICU double meaning. Right. And then by season three, season four, it's they've stolen all our technology and have turned it back against us and are now invading. And it becomes all out war. But we only see it out through the windows of this hospital. We never leave the hospital, even though we're seeing cataclysmic alien invasion on the outside you know they're rushing the bodies into emergency and and everything else in the last season or two um and uh have you already written this or you pitched the i pitched it and and uh my buddy 
was at a point in his career where he was like, no, my next series, I got to travel. I, mm. I need multiple locations. I'm at a point in my career where I can demand multiple. I'm no more single I, I'm not set sit for me. in a hospital yeah, room. Yeah, I was for like, okay, fine. Yeah. Uh, he wants. He he needs to do the story about this the space cruisers. Space yeah, cruises. exactly. Yeah, <laughs> I I want to do one of the. I have a solo show idea for that as well. Nice. Yeah. Well, the ideas never stop coming, do they? I um. I hope not. <clears throat> I don't see them slowing down. I think I've known you for uh, 27 years. That's I think right. I met you when I first moved here. Right. You were the very first dog walker I ever met. Right. You're the one who gave me the idea for it. I'm the man of ideas. Yep. And, uh, well, I just had never, I mean, having never, I, I came from the Midwest where people put their dogs in the yard. Right. You know, and I. Well, everybody was like that in those days. And up until cities became, you know, and and people with money and. Yeah. Working all day. But it was still a joke throughout <clears throat> the 90s when I did it. Everybody was like, you do what? Yeah. That's a job. Right. Yeah. No, you don't. I was like, yep, play like a five-year-old in the park yeah. with animals. With beautiful creatures and who love you is, and want to be with you. I told everybody I could. I was like, this is such a great thing. And a number of people went, oh, my God, you're right, and took me up on starting it themselves and then failed miserably. Really? Either didn't have the proper um, attention to the animals, uh, wrong priorities, just mm -hmm. wanted to make the money, just didn't want to do the work. Right. Instead of actually going out and playing like a five-year-old in right. the park. They, turned, they tried to turn it into more of a job. job yeah. And, and then it's it. like, oh, no, no. And so very quickly after four or five years, I stopped talking about it at all. Yeah, and I was like, "No, people are oh fuck." Yeah, everybody's got to ruin the good thing. I very quickly, when I started, didn't tell <laughs> anyone about it because I saw it, I saw where it would head, and it did. And it did way too quickly. Now there's like over four hundred, and isn't that nuts? My entire i business um, plan for years now has been the single word hide. That's what I try to do with the dogs. You got to hide with the dogs. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, you're good at it, and you have practice in other ways. This city is bigger than everyone thinks. <clears throat> yeah, <clears throat> yeah. There are get there are places you can hide. It's pretty cool. You can't take eight dogs necessarily, but you could take a few. Right. Um, I think for the sake of you've of got, my of my edit, you've that, got enough. Well, yeah, um, yeah. I think I'm gonna have to. We're we're approaching the two hour mark. Yeah, so. you can definitely cut things down. Yeah, but it but um. It's been really fun. It's been fun to meander through your, like your story ideas and tie them oh, into to, to the world, and that's what they all seem to do. Like they all come out of your experiences, but through your filter of oddness with nature and 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 ner nerd uh, role playing games like at the four. That's awesome. I think that's pretty cool to go out and actually do it as an adult to go out and play those games, even if other people think it's dorky. I think it's awesome. Well, usually I'm somewhere in the back country where I haven't seen a person. Yeah. In like like nobody three days, sees you, but, and I, uh, sometimes get that objective, you know, third eye mm -hmm. thing where I see myself from a distance and I'm like, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> but most of the time I'm uh, able to stay in it because why not? Yeah. I mean, that's why I'm out here to, to lose that, uh, the inhibition of myself yeah, yeah that's great well and yeah this if if 
if you really look at it, like someone's challenging you, like somebody's angry at you for being childlike. Is that like, is that a real thing? Like why, why do people, why are people so upset when adults want to like have fun and just. I swung on like, a swing in a uh, playground in Phnom Penh, uh-huh. Cambodia. It was really late at night and this mom showed up with her three-year-old and chast- chastised me and Kamai. I have no idea what she said. But I was not allowed yeah, on the swing. Yeah, get swings. off the fucking swing, you, mate, you yeah, stupid, yeah. you know. Exactly. That's amazing. Well, what was she doing there at 3 a.m. with her, or um, whatever, in the middle of the night? No rules. Yeah, no rules. All right. Well, thanks so much for coming to talk, man. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, anytime. It's good to see you. You too. And uh, I'm going to give, in, in the outro, I'll give all links to all your happenings, everything you got. Or cool. whatever, whatever you wish to share. <laughs> okay. Cool, man. All right. Thanks. I'll talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening, everybody. That was my friend David Draffin, D-R-A-F-F-I-N. And I'm telling you how to spell his name so that you can go find his audiobooks. Um, in addition to having written several things, I don't even know how many books he's written um, and self-published, but uh, he does the audio. He, he trained himself or was learned how to be an audiobook recording artist and now he is and so he's done a ton of stuff and he has sent me a link for how to get there but it's too many letters and numbers and symbols to read over the air so i'm just going to tell you go to amazon search for dw draffin d-r-a-f-f-i-n and you will find all of his uh all the audiobooks available there um and also when his daughter was younger he and his daughter together wrote a couple of books, which I find to be rather amazing. And uh, those can be found at www.smudgeprintbooks.com. Okay, so uh, yeah, that's all of Dave's stuff, I think. There's a whole bunch of other things that he gets into. If you live in the city or the Bay Area, you could go see one of his live performances. He's an actor, and uh, as well as a playwright. And a million other things. So um hope you enjoyed. If you want to reach me, I think you know how by now. I won't tell you again until next time when I do tell you again. All right. Don't watch the news. See you next week.